0: Welcome to the Change Management Reviews Podcast, where we bring the best of change management
1: to you. On this episode, Editor-in-Chief Teresa Moulton talks with Dean Anderson, speaker, writer, trainer, and consultant whose career spans over 30 years. In part one of our podcast, Dean Anderson and Teresa Moulton discuss conscious change leadership.
0: Welcome to the Change Management Reviews Podcast. Today's... guest is dr. Dean Anderson of being first incorporated and I'd like to share a little bit about dr. Anderson um, and then we'll get right into a conversation um, that will take us into topic about change management and how it relates to conscious change leadership and how it impacts our work as change practitioners so Dr. Dean Anderson is the CEO and co-founder of Being First, Inc., and he coaches executives and senior consultants of Fortune 1000 companies, government agencies, armed forces, and large nonprofit organizations. As a speaker, writer, consultant, and no-nonsense trainer with over 30 years of experience, Dr. Anderson coaches his clients to design and implement transformational change, deliver breakthrough results increase organizational change capacity, and establish a high-performing, co-creative corporate culture that unleashes human potential. Dean's eclectic understanding of mindset, culture, and process gives him a unique perspective that established him as a thought leader in the field of organization transformation. So without further ado, welcome Dean.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. And, yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to this conversation as well. Oh, good, good. That's great. Um, one of the things
0: we like to do before we get into the topic, the specific plan topic, is to uh, ask you about how you got into the change management profession because everyone comes in in a different way and um, we often get asked that question by people who are either just coming in or, to the profession or not. How do you get into this? So I was wondering for you, you know, what was your story like?
1: Well, it's very different. Um, And and truthfully, I've never really called myself a a change management professional, even though I guess I've been in this field forever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It started for me when I got out of graduate school. I did a couple of degrees at Stanford and um, was a world-class swimmer there and water polo player. And Mm. Was very interested in the inner dynamic of high performance. So right out of graduate school, I opened an institute in Berkeley, California called the Optimal Performance Institute. And there we trained high performance athletes, and then it migrated to other kind of performers, um, singers, actors. Migrated then into salespeople, um, who were kind of on, you know, on the starting line. You know, you, you know, there's just a, a level of I got to be on right now. Mm-hmm. And what I got interested in is, you know, how people can raise them, their game to the highest potential that they have and how they achieve and that quickly morphed into uh, a couple gigs in uh the C-suite. And that's a long story. The short story was there were some TV shows on some world-class athletes that were going through the institute and being very successful on a on a global scene and and a CFO of a large multinational corporation saw one of those TV shows and called me and said, "Hey, can you teach old people how to golf better?" <laughs> and I said, "Sure." <laughs> and so he went from being kind of a in the let's say the top ten in his country club to winning the their annual golf tournament. And of course, all of his cronies who were C-suite people all went, "How'd you do that?" And he told them, and all of a sudden we were dealing with you know boards and executive teams and it was kind of funny because they'd say hey we're going to hire you because we want to improve our team performance but really we just want to learn how to golf better um, <laughs> and that's how I got started in the business space well, so well, that we quickly have, we turned to start
0: that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no exactly so that you know got me very interested in team dynamics because those golf conversations you know quickly morphed into what they were doing in their business. And what I began to discover was that teams in, or, in organizations, but in, in many ways, any team, you know, it, it there's a culture in the team, obviously. And that culture of the team creates a ceiling, more or less, for individual performers. So I got very interested in how do you actually crack through that ceiling? Because my, mm. my interest has always been breaking through to the next level of performance and outcome. And so it's like, okay, I'm watching these individual performers perform, but they keep running up against the norms of the team, and so that got me interested in team dynamics, and then once I began to get a little mastery over how to build high-performing teams, I got very interested in organizational culture because the same dynamic was true. as Teams would start to excel, and their individual contributors were excelling, but they were running up against the corporate culture, and about that time that I met Linda, and Linda was kind of traveling a, an opposite path, where she was working with organizational change and coming to realize that if she wasn't able to raise the performance level of individuals and teams, then those change, you know, big, massive reorgs, et cetera, were not going to succeed as well. So we kind of met from different angles, looking into each other's camp, and, you know, spent the last 30-some years mentoring each other in those spaces, so. I guess we kind of look at ourselves as equal in both those spaces now. But that was that was how I got into the change game in the organization.
0: Wow, I never heard that story. about That's great.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. And what was fascinating and awesome about our coming together was that we were seeing similar dynamics. And I had said since graduate school, as when I when I left Stanford um, with my master's degree, I. I kind of went on a pilgrimage, if you will, and I spent a couple years in a kind of self-study Ph.D. program around human human development, and Mm. that, of course, took me into the human consciousness world, and what I got very interested in is what I call the golden thread of humanity, and I was realizing that, you know, there are a bunch of Western approaches to high performance, and there are a bunch of Eastern approaches to high performance, and there are a bunch of, and if you look into the religious space, of course, there's, you know, various uh, commonalities across religions, which, of course, were across cultures and across centuries. So what was all that commonality? What's the golden thread that makes humans humans and how they tick, how they have, you know, poor performance, mediocre performance, average performance, and then what makes those superstars superstars? And what is the human dynamic in all of that? How does it work? And so Linda had that same interest. She just came about it at the organizational level, and I came about it starting at the personal level, and so we we kind of met in that same world view, which was that human consciousness mattered and process mattered, and that was kind of what brought us together.
0: That's interesting, um, especially when we think about today's topic, from change management to conscious change leadership, revisioning our work.
1: Right, yeah. So right in that alley.
0: (laughs) It really is. It's just amazing. So, um, you know, one of the questions we wanted to ask you is, you know, what is conscious change leadership and how does it differ from change management?
1: Well, it's very different. um, And I would say it it includes change management but Mm -hmm. goes beyond it in, you know, some pretty significant ways. You know, with this kind of lifetime, the last 40 years or so, Um, study around human and organizational performance and development, you know, three things are very clear to us, and they're represented by these three words, conscious, change, and leadership. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And before I describe those, what I mean by that and those three domains of conscious change and leadership, let me just say that, you know, for us at Being First, you know, we start with a fundamental question. And that question usually goes to the CEO or the business unit president or whoever the client is. And so our clients are, you know, always at the top of the house, and the question is simple. It's what are you trying to achieve, and what are the breakthroughs that you need to succeed at in order to achieve that? Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: what we're really looking for is what's the big peak, what's the big uh, vision that they have is the easiest way to say it. But in some ways, it's often a fantasy because, you know, let's face it, there there aren't that many people that are Roger Federer and win eight Wimbledon champions or championships or Tom Brady and has a number of MVPs of the Super Bowl or Michael Phelps, you know, breaking world record after record in swimming. Um, there aren't that many of those folks. And so most of us tend to think about performance from a window of possibility, and what we would say is we could raise the bar on that possibility. So we start there. And so we want to know what the executive's big aspiration is. What's the thing they dream about? If only they could do this, then we could achieve that. Mm -hmm. And so that framing then creates what we would call the peak, you know, what we're going for, the big vision, the big, hairy, audacious goal, the strategic objectives. And then we do some assessment around what are, the, what are the areas in which you need breakthrough in order to achieve that outcome. And, of course, it's a, it's a big peak to climb, so it's a multi-year perspective. And the areas that we look at are we say, okay, what are the big business results where you need breakthrough? Where is the breakthrough that you need in the organization itself in terms of how it's structured, how it op- operates, its technology it uses? the business processes you you, you use, et cetera. How do you need to change in your culture? How do you need to change in your leadership? How does the workforce need to change in terms of performance? How does it need to raise its game? And fundamentally, what's the change leadership capability you then need to pull all that off? So that creates the map for us.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: then our approach is conscious change leadership. And so there are three critical things that we've, found are essential to being able to achieve those breakthroughs. So the first domain is conscious, and what we mean by conscious is the human consciousness part. It's, it's the inner game, if you will. It's helping people wake up to their own interior so they become self-aware of who they are and how they are and how they operate from the inside out, so aware of their belief systems aware of the assumptions they're making in real time, aware of the meaning-making they're making of data and how they're interpreting it and what the underlying assumptions and beliefs are that are causing them to interpret it that way and make those conclusions and, therefore, those decisions and take those actions versus these. And so there's a very powerful self-development component to the conscious part of our work and so all of our clients that work with us rather robustly you know, through a, a, a retreat and an ongoing coaching and ongoing uh, learning and development opportunities where they're growing as human beings. And we call that body of work the conscious part, but it's really fueled by an idea that's, that in the world of leadership is starting to just now emerge. It's um, you know, something we've been actually working on for three decades, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's called Vertical Leadership Development. And the idea with this is that, you know, if we think of kids, they grow through stages. You know, a 2 year olds different than the 6-year-old. When you become 10, you're different again. When you're 14, you're a whole different human being. And then you pop out at 18 or 20 or 25 as a so-called adult. And all cultures, those kids go through those same stages. That's part of the golden thread of understanding human development. But it doesn't stop there. Just because we're now worldly um, doesn't mean that growth can't continue. In fact, we've identified, the researchers on the planet doing this work, um, have identified that there's easily another three if not four stages of development beyond the typical adult stage. And so what happens when people begin to do their inner work is they wake up to be able to see more of the, they see systems in a bigger way. So they're seeing greater holes. They attend to bigger things. They see the interdependencies. They begin to see the, uh, the, the un- most dynamics that are at play. And they see longer in time fra- frames so they can have a bigger perspective. They can, they can plan for three- and five-year interventions and begin to see that rather than quarterly. Um, and they understand humans at a deeper level as they grow. So this whole idea of conscious is waking people up to those higher levels of development and then helping them get there. So that's one. And the idea, Teresa, is that I can't take the peak if I start the journey and stay in my, with my current mindset because my current mindset doesn't actually conceive that, right? I've I got to go outside my comfort zone. I've got to break through my own limitations, Mm -hmm. Of perspective and decision making and how I interpret information and so I've got to raise my game from the inside out in order to even have a chance of achieving that kind of breakthrough. So there's the wake up thing that absolutely has to happen otherwise we take our current mindset into the challenge and we fail because our current mindset wasn't big enough for the challenge.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: There's a Wonderful professor Robert Keegan at Harvard who's, who describes it as, as saying this, that 80% of leaders are in over their heads, meaning that the complexity they face, the dynamics, the emergent reality they're facing in the 21st century, is bigger than their cognitive capacity. In other words, at their stage of development, they can't handle all of those variables. It's too much. Mm-hmm. So what happens is they go into problem solving, right, and they try to reduce it. But when you reduce the elephant down to its component pieces, it's no longer an elephant. And problem solving is very different than vision creation. And what we're mm-hmm. talking about is vision creation. So anyway, that's a piece on the conscious part. I'll just leave it at that, and then if you want to dive into that, I'll leave it to you to ask you more questions about it.
0: Okay,
1: great. Would you, would you like to do that? Now you want me to go on to change and leadership to talk about conscious change and leadership.
0: Yeah, that sounds good.
1: Okay. So the change part is, if I'm awake and I can see differently and I can have a bigger perspective, I still got to navigate myself, my organization. That might be 5,000 people, it might be 50,000, or you know some of our clients are over 200,000 people in the organization. So how do we navigate? From here to there and, and underline we and navigate so the navigation part is that we've developed over these last four decades an approach that we call con- the change leaders roadmap and what the roadmap is it's literally a navigation system cradle-to-grave so end-to-end end process of a transformation that would take us through the breakthrough targets that we have to achieve the ultimate vision. And so that navigation system is a way of organizing, planning, then designing and implementing any transformation of any type and scale. And so it's like an operating system of change, meaning you can apply it to anything. It's not a cookbook. It's not a map. Uh, I mean, excuse me, a map that tells you the exact turn you need to make. It's a roadmap where you have to use your own intelligence to then make decisions along the way. But what the roadmap does, the Change Leaders Roadmap, it informs those decisions. So it puts those decisions in front of the leaders and supports them to make those decisions in informed ways so that they can navigate the complexities of the transformation. So it's a process uh, roadmap, if you will, and it enables them to design intelligent processes. The process, of course, meaning the process of change, the process Mm -hmm. of the organization transforming. And when you combine that then with a greater perspective and an intelligent roadmap that has the intelligence built into it, it immediately raises the game on the quality of the transformational strategy. And that's very different than in change management in change management what we're often stuck with is leaders who haven't woken up and their change process is oriented to the content of the change it's oriented to the structure they're trying to produce or the new business process or the technology and so they privilege the content and they neglect the other areas that are critical like people, like mindset and behavior, like the culture. And so what the roadmap does, it raises the game on the thinking and informs their decisions. So right from the beginning, leaders are already thinking about engagement, they're already thinking about how to build the case for change, what stakeholders actually need to be in game, how they're going to get them in game, who's going to be providing input, where are decisions coming from? How are you going to interface with the organization as you try to change the organization? So those types of critical things are placed in front of the leaders via the roadmap so they make intelligent decisions. And so what happens is then downstream and implementation where change managers tend to be brought in is that the resistance is so low because everything prior to that has been done right and done in a way that builds commitment, not resistance. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's a very different orientation and it doesn't mean change managers aren't needed. It just mm-hmm. means that they get to participate in plant, you know, in helping reap the rewards of a well-planted garden mm-hmm. as opposed to being asked to come in when there's weeds growing all over and asked to do the almost sometimes impossible things of get the plants to grow when they got to deal with the weeds in a garden that hasn't been fertilized or watered or whatever. And so the roadmap enables leaders to make intelligent decisions so the garden grows naturally. And then the change managers, they just put the icing on the cake with all the good work that they do.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And I think um, the way that you spoke about, um, you know, how the roadmap helps leaders attend to the dynamics of change in the organization and the culture and all that, Versus uh, them identifying with owning um, whatever kind of dynamic they would have with the work itself is really, really well said. Because I don't think that a lot of um, a lot of us step back and actually, you know, ponder that thought very much. Because the project comes first. And so, hey, I right. got this great center of excellence project. We've got to create an X Y Z. And the whole project turns into that without
1: doing this work at all. That's right. And so there's that you know separation between the project, which then, of course, is often driven by project managers, mm-hmm. and the change, which is driven by change managers. And the truth is those things should never be separate. But even putting them together is inadequate because there's a whole body of work that's missing that needs to happen up front, which is around strategy. You know, project managers don't strategize.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: just... They just dissect the problem, if you will, what they're mm-hmm. trying to produce down into steps and throw it into a, you know, a, a, a spreadsheet somehow or a project management software or whatever it is they're using to try to be on time, on budget with a bunch of tasks. Well, right. who's deciding strategically what the ta- tasks are going to be and who's going to do them and how they're going to do them? And so that whole level of the strategic perspective on change is often missing. And so that's where the juice is because change managers come in and they pay the price of that work not being done. But just imagine if from the get-go when people are saying, hey, we've got to, you know, create the center of excellence or we're going to restructure our organization or we're going to do this new IT implementation. And people are immediately saying, okay, do we – Do we know the case for change? Yeah, well, sure, we got the case for change. Yeah, but do we collectively, all 20,000 of our people, do they know the case for change? Well, not really. Okay, well, let's go slow to go fast. Rather than just go create the project plan and throw a team together, let's start working on building the case for change and getting our people to actually understand what's happening happening in the market that's driving this change. Mm -hmm. Just that kind of stuff. Now, if you play that mindset off, to, into then saying, okay, so we've got a suite of desired outcomes. You know, do our people know what those are? And let's take the time to make those engagement plans so we can get conversations around why we're going for this particular mountain. And let's, let's get people really in, in with us about how we're going to go about this strategically and let them know their role. And let's give them some authority locally to make the changes that they need to make to align and, and let's, you know, and blah, 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 right? So you, now all of a sudden you've got a level of wisdom that's happening in the first month of a, of a big, giant, multi-year project, but it's being set up for success. Right. And then with that wisdom you hear leaders start to say, well, you know, we've got this change management group. I hear they're buried over there in IT, and we're doing this restructuring. Maybe we could get them involved now. <laughs> right, and then the change managers are in bliss, right? Because that's what they should be doing, and right. they should be involved with the sponsors, and they should be involved with the project leaders right from the beginning. And so that's what we're trying to do in in, in the use of the change leaders roadmap, and that's the beauty mm. of
0: it yeah. And it, it sounds like um, uh, the you know the stuff on the front end of that roadmap also sets some of the leadership up for good sponsorship.
1: Exactly. And part of, you know, one of the things that we bring, you know, is is a suite of a dozen different training or, you know, learning mm-hmm. and development programs. Sponsoring transformation is one of them. And you know, we in our work we don't um, mandate or dictate or even pretend like there's a cookbook approach to it. Every organization, every change is different different. But what we've built is an operating system for breakthroughs. So there's a whole suite of training programs, consulting interventions, the methodology itself, coaching stuff, assessments. You know, that it's like an hors d'oeuvre tray that mm-hmm. we pick and choose from in partnership with a client so that they can raise their game of change leadership to take the mountain that they're trying to take.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And sponsorship's a critical one.
0: Yeah, that's great. What are the key principles of conscious change leadership that drive its results?
1: Well, that's a great question. You know, and it does lead into the third piece that I actually haven't spoken about. So let me see if I can tie those two questions together. So conscious, we talked about change. We talked about conscious is the waking up process, the self-development from the inside. Change is um, learning how to really plan and and design and implement transformation um, so that it actually produces adoption and sustainment. You know, that's the idea with the Mm -hmm. navigation system. And so the leadership piece really talks to one of the core principles. And the leadership piece is helping leaders move from command and control to co-creating. Because, again, if we go back to our metaphor, we're trying to take the mountain. And I'm sitting here in my office. I'm looking at an almost 14,000-foot peak <laughs> I'm in southern Colorado, right? So I'm looking out on the wilderness here. Um, so if I'm trying to take that mountain, um, meaning achieve that peak, then I've got to wake up inside myself to be able to even see how that might happen. I've got to develop the capability to be able to navigate it. That's the change part. But I also have to navigate it in a way that brings us all along. Yeah, so my 20,000 people have got to make this journey. And maybe you could say, well, this change is just in a business unit. And I'd say, okay, great. So it's only 3,000 people. But the point is is my comm- old style of command and control It doesn't really work anymore in the world of the 21st century because things are too dynamic. There's a lot of reasons, but things are too dynamic. People are too informed. There's a whole move around being self-empowered and responsible. You know, we hire smart adults, so let's treat them like smart adults. Mm -hmm. You know, and command and control tends not to do that. You know, you watch all the time where you had... 15 people in a room and it's a complex strategic topic that's being talked about and the decision maker ends up being whoever has the most power in the room, even though they might be the least expert and least informed. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes no sense. And so co-creating is a different model. And the idea with co-creating is that we've got to do it together. We all have a role in it. And I don't don't mean that every person, all 20,000 people. I just mean more at the principal level that you're asking about. And the idea with co-creating is that we are aligned to where we're going. And so we use a principle we call win-win-win, where the first win, all capital letters, the big win, is the larger systems winning. So it might be the department, it might be the business unit, it might be the entire organization, it might be the community that we serve, our customer base, right? So I'm looking up and saying what's best here You know, ultimately, we see it happening on the planet of what's best here for life, and we call it, you know, taking care of the environment, or we call it social justice. You know, Mm -hmm. we've all got to have, you know, the fundamental rights to thrive as human beings. Mm -hmm. If I look myopically, then I might say, no, my organization's got to win and yours does, or my race does, or my religion, or my country, and yours is going to fail. But all that does is promote war, you know. Mm -hmm. promotes conflict. And so this idea of co-creating is how do we get a bigger perspective? And then that's the first win, and then the second two wins are mine and yours, or mm-hmm. mine and the others. So I then become a partner to you and saying, well, Teresa, how can I support you to get what you need out of this? And you say, well, how can I support you? With the primary goal being, wait, whatever the big win is. And there may be times where we have to sacrifice. There may be times where... You know, I've got to give something up. But the point is I'm doing it for the greater cause, and I'm aligned to that greater cause. And so people will then say, oh, that sounds Pollyanna. You know, that will never happen. And there you go. That brings us back to the conscious part because now who's speaking in them is their own ego, their own ego based on fear, based on scarcity, based on worry, based on not enough, as opposed to their higher self that co-creating would call for which is that hey we can figure this out together.
0: You
1: know, mm-hmm. we can take a perspective of abundance. You know, and if we put our heads together and really work together and we listen to each other, we'll come up with some really good solutions. And that that's a fundamental principle of this work is that we can't get there alone. We've got to engage others. We've got to work together. We've got to get beyond the power and control issues. We've got to get beyond you're the CEO, and I'm only a you know, a supervisor, and, and work beyond those boundaries and partner. And so partnership mm-hmm. is a core principle of this. And it really speaks to the leadership part of conscious change leadership.
0: Yeah, so, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And then there are a lot of other really core principles. I'll just name a few of them. So one is the idea that mindset is causative. So how I see the world actually determines what I see in the world. So if I have a perspective of Teresa, that, you know, you're you're kind of like this, then when I'm with you, I'm my ego is always looking for data that proves my predetermined conclusion. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. she was that way, right? So what I see in the world is based on my own mindset and. Mm-hmm. So mindset is causative. So what that means then is brings us to a second principle, which is that I want to turn inward and do what we call put your being first. So not your ego, but your being. And that leads us to a third principle, which is learning and development, which means I want to learn about my ego's story, and I want to develop myself beyond that story so that I can live out of more of my higher self. And that higher self is the one that solves more complex problems. It is able to resolve conflict better, makes better strategic decisions about navigating the complexities of change. It's wiser about how to engage people. So those principles all kind of live together. So we've got this principle of co-creating, mindset is causative, putting your being first, growing from the inside out, and learning and development as an ongoing path. Mm -hmm. Those are really core to this body of work. It sounds like it. And it sounds like um, they apply really
0: to anybody who's looking at any type of change, you you know, and that's something that I think a lot of us who get, you know, mired in the detail of projects or caught in the swirl of organizational politics, you know, we, we really kind of, are like the, the grass and the wind. We get blown around in the organizational dynamics when we really need to be able to ground ourselves and remember, um, you know, these principles that you're talking about.
1: That's a really good point because it, it the, I mean, the way of, for me to think about it is that there's there's a universality to what we're talking about. hmm You know, first of all, it can be applied to anything, you know, because everything is change. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, the one constant in the universe is change. And so now we're talking about an intentional change and changing so that we can you know, achieve things that are currently beyond our grasp. The more beyond the grasp they are, the more transformational they are. It doesn't matter what the transformation is. The, the process is going to be similar and it's going to touch into universal principles. And those principles are based on how humans work and how life works at the most meta level. And so the idea with this body of work is that it's really uh, designed to be the operating system for breakthrough. Mm -hmm. So that a senior leader who's aspiring to take a mountain that they don't think they can really take because of all these reasons, that we're showing up and saying, man, you can take that mountain. Let us help you identify what's in the way of getting there and then let's apply this operating system of conscious change and leadership that has a whole suite of services to support its implementation so that you can actually achieve those breakthroughs. Now for us, because our our clients tend to be senior executives, you know, we have a certain level of influence and we bring something, you know, way beyond a toolbox, right? That, that we don't have a checklist or a dashboard for engagement.
0: Mm -hmm. you know, like
1: that. I mean, we have all those tools. We we implement them when they're needed, but that's not what we're selling. Mm -hmm. And so we have a certain way, certain conversation we're able to be in. Now, when we get up against it, the leader doesn't get it, they get resistant, you know, we now have a human challenge. When the change manager who doesn't have maybe the access that we might have gets up against it with their project team or the project leader, and they're trying to influence them with a more robust level of engagement or maybe get engagement earlier or begin to raise up some integration issues between their project and that project over there and that department that's really going to bump up against each other. You know, any of those things that project leaders want to just ignore and try to push through, (laughs) well, in that moment, that change manager has the same human challenge that we might have with our senior executive, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and how we navigate that as a human right there, in ourselves, so we can get back to our own center, how we then navigate the conversation, so communication skills, and how we navigate the wisdom of seeing the strategic levers, the strategic insights that will help that project manager, in the case of the change manager, or maybe the executive in our typical conversations, Those are the same dynamics for all of us. And that's what is really powerful about this. Because as you learn this kind of work as a change manager, maybe you're young in your career, what's going to occur for that person is that their stock price is going to skyrocket. And so their migration and their professional development and their career choices and the more access to the C-suite and the more influence they're going to have in the world That's going to track, right along with their development curve, how awake they are consciously, how well they can strategically navigate complex change, and how they can operate from a co-creative leadership perspective. And that's a really beautiful (laughs) realization because it puts people on a developmental path that equips them to have greater influence in their careers as a change practitioner. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast listening to Teresa Moulton of Change Management Review and consultant Dean Anderson. Don't forget to watch for part two, which covers how to deliver conscious change leadership and what you need to do to be
0: successful. Be sure to check out our website at changemanagementreview.com.
1: We also invite you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and join us on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.